When you are free, you live a life that sets other people free. God has more for you than you can ever imagine. Three words, hope, health, and healing. Amen by myself. Welcome to Midtown. Good morning, everybody. Um, to our first-time guest, my name is Tyrone. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, I'm so glad that you all joined us today. Um, to Dr. Armstrong, Dr. Fortune, thank you guys so much for everything that you do. Thank you for making time. And so, can we give it up for them too, please? I, I'm gonna try my best to get through this. I, I said this on Thursday night. The more y'all give me, the easier I'm gonna be able to get through this message. Can we? Can we so. So if y'all talk back just a little bit, that, that, that'll help me out. But if you've been around for the past month, we have been in this sermon series titled, Hope When You Want to Quit on God. And I'm going to be wrapping it up today. But before I go into the message today, I want to give a quick recap of where we've been the last few weeks. Um, week one, the title of the message was, Don't Give Up Hope, Something to Keep You from Quitting. Um, the key points in this message was, Recognizing Your Brokenness. Realize that God is with you and wrestle with God as long as it takes. In week two, Pastor Otis came to you with the title, Don't Give Up Hope, Just Give Up. I know that's very interesting. But the key takeaway in this message was stop trying to do things your own way and in your own strength. And last weekend, Pastor Danny, she came and she gave us a message and it was titled, Hope After Failure, Get Back Up. Our failures are not final. We fail he never fails us. We can't quit on God. We have too much to gain. So if you miss any of those messages, it's all good. You can check out our Midtown Church podcast and check it out. Amen? So as I was preparing for the message today, I was thinking about the things that we do when we are desperate. One of the things um, that I do, and I'm talking about me, not no one in here, but sometimes when I get hungry and it turns into hangry, I use the excuse of eating something unhealthy. So I'm just going to pull into McDonald's and get something I shouldn't get because I got to eat, right? <laughs> but, but maybe you've experienced something like this before. When I was a kid, I remember my grandparents, um, it was a Saturday they, uh, they said, hey, we're about to go um, leave the house for a couple of hours, but when we come back home, make sure your room is picked up. Now, my grandfather was a military man, and so the way he expected things to be clean is a lot different than probably most of us. So when they left the house, I did what most kids would do. I ran to the kitchen, I found the biggest bowl I could find, poured some cereal, got on the couch, kicked back, and I was chilling. Not a worry at all. But that was until my grandmother called. She said, hey, honey, how you doing? I said, I'm doing all right. She said, we'll be home soon, a.k.a. that room better be picked up. So as soon as I hung up the phone, I started to panic. I, I was desperate, and desperate times calls for desperate measures. I ran to my room. I picked up everything off the floor, off the bed, and I threw it all in the closet. Now, when they got home, you already know what happened. They saw the overstuffed closet, and it was all bad for me. But the, th the crazy thing is, um, when Raquel and I first got married, we invited my grandparents over for dinner. And she was, going for, she was leaving for a trip, and she's a flight attendant. So she said, hey, I just need you to pick up the house. I said, okay. 
And so she calls, she said, hey, babe, I'm on my way home from the airport. I said, all right. Then my grandparents called. They said, hey, son, we'll be there in 30 minutes. You thought I would have learned the lesson of procrastination as a kid, but the thing is, I didn't. And so I did what any grown man would do in this situation. Desperate times calls for desperate measures. I grabbed everything and I threw it in a room that they were not going to go into, <laughs> out of sight and out of mind. The title of the message today is Hoping for the Best and Not Settling for Less. Our main text is Psalms chapter 42. I'm going to start reading at verse number one. It says, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night while people, um, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? Verse 4, these things as I remember, as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive thrones. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior, my God. Let us pray. Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this opportunity to be able to share a word with your people. Lord, use me, speak through me. Allow this to touch the hearts of each individual in here and allow us all to leave better than we came. In your mighty name we pray, amen. Some biblical background, Psalms is full of words from desperate people in need of finding hope in God. We've been sharing the biblical definition of hope and the biblical definition of hope in God, but I want to read to you misplaced hope. People who quit believing in God may have put more hope in religion, in church, in people than in an intimate relationship with Christ. Many of us have tried to um, solely rely on ourselves for hope, thinking that we can control everything in our lives. But if that was the case, we wouldn't need hope because everything would be all right. Psalms chapter 42 is attributed to the sons of Korah, and it's expressing this deep longing um, from the psalmist for God's presence in his life, especially during times of turmoil and, and this distant place of um, sacred worship that he was longing for. So hoping for the best and not settling for less, another way you can look at the title is um, hoping for the best, which is God, and not settling for less, meaning I want to get everything that he has for me. So three keys to finding the hope that you need. Point number one, if you're following along, is when you're desperate, rediscover God. Or if you're new around here or if you're feeling hopeless or if you haven't experienced God yet, discover God. So when you're desperate, rediscover or discover God. Um, one of the things that you will notice um, with this psalm here is it's, it's like a, a roller coaster. It's like a seesaw of emotions. And so as you follow along, you're going to see like, hold on, he said this, but then he's going here. But one of the things that I love about the Bible, the word of God is sometimes you can read it and you're reading it. It's just like a storybook. But then there's other times when you read it and it starts reading you. And you're like, hold on, why is this all up in my business? It's speaking to my situation. See, but, but when that happens to me, um, th that's when I start feeling um, the presence of God and I realize how much he loves me. 
So in Psalms chapter 42, this is what happened to me as I was reading it. It was speaking to me in different places. And I believe that it's going to speak to you as well. But you've heard me say this before. The Bible says, study to show thyself approved. Don't just listen to me or any other pastor. Go back and read the word for yourself. So I encourage you to go read this chapter when you get home or sometime during the week. So let's get to it. Verse number one, it says, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? As the deer pants for stream of water. This is a powerful illustration when we fully understand it. First, we must understand the landscape. We, we, we have to understand the environment of ancient Israel at this time. It was dry and, and it was producing little to no rain. And, and the land was so poor that it was, it was producing much to little vegetation at all. So water was very crucial for survival. And it wasn't easy to come by. So in the, in the word, in Hebrew, the word pants or panting, it implies to this intense experience. So this description of the deer seeking water isn't like the Bambi character that some of us grew up with. It wasn't that pretty. It wasn't that easy accessible to get to the water. But the deer seeking, um, this was the, the psalmist expressing his longing and desire for this spiritual nourishment for his soul. He wanted closeness with God, which is described here in verse number two. It says, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. And this wasn't just a simple, let me get a glass of water to quench my thirst. He was desperate in something, for something vital. He goes on in verse number three. It says, my tears have been my food day and night while people say to me all day long, where is your God? I imagine he started saying to God, I, I place my trust in you. I, 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 I've been longing for you, but, but, but I, don't, I, I don't see you. Where are you, God? It feels like I'm alone. And, and then what, what makes it worse is his enemies were taunting him, saying, like, we see you going through this, so where's your God? I don't know if you've experienced this before as a believer. When you're going through something, you have people looking at it like, well, aren't you a Christian? Aren't you a believer? Where's your God at now? This is what he's saying. Have we ever been so desperate for God where we were just crying out, Lord, I need you. I need you. Have you been that desperate to say, Lord, I'm a mess. I'm lost right now. I know I can't make it without you. To be so desperate for God's presence, to cry out and ask God to please change my situation. God, can you do this for me? And while you're doing that, People looking at you saying, where's your God? See, see, when I deal with haters like that, I'm going to be honest. In my flesh, I want to go off. I want to tell them about themselves. But, but when you're so desperate, you don't even have the energy to give them attention. When it says, my soul thirsts for God, in Matthew chapter 5, 6, it says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and they will be filled. So I imagine <laughs> it will be okay because guess what? Your naysayers are going to look at you and your situation is going to start to change, and you don't even have to say anything at all because you are going to be filled. But it's like the writer, this shift begins 
and he starts counseling himself. He starts encouraging himself. He starts thinking about how things used to be. In verse 4, what does it say? It says, these things as I remember as I pour my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy among the festive throngs. See, in the middle of his despair, he started speaking life into a situation. See, I, see, he started thinking back to how it used to be when he was surrounded by God's people. He started thinking about when he was able to praise. See, there's a song that says, sometimes you have to encourage yourself. See, you have to speak life into your situation. Don't wait for somebody else. See, when we start doing it, you know what happens? When we start speaking life into a desperate situation, the enemy gets nervous. It's like, oh, what's wrong with that person right there? How, are they, how do they have so much joy? And I know hell is going on in their life right now. See, when that happens for me, I start grinning. And I just start, oh, God, you're good. You know, I want to shake it up. Oh, God, I know how I feel right now, but God, you're good. But here's that roller coaster of emotion that I'm talking about. See, not just this psalmist, we do it here. Sometimes, so we get in a place where like, okay, God is good. I know you're good. I know you're going to come through. But then what do we do? We say why. And it's almost like this rhetorical why. Verse 5, he does it right here. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? But then he shifts, put your hope in God, for I will praise him, my Savior, my God. See, it's as if the writers start rediscovering God again and finding hope in a hopeless situation. See, this is what I want for each and every one of us. I want us to get to the place when we start feeling down, when we start feeling hopeless, instead of asking why, stop. Stop in the midst of what feels like a hopeless situation and be desperate enough to rediscover God. Rediscover understanding that this may require us to hold the tension. We got to hold the tension between our present experience of suffering for the future hope that's going to come. So how do we rediscover God? We get in his word. We read the word. And the one thing that you'll see in this chapter and throughout the Bible, it it can be comforting when you see others going through things and you see how God delivers them. So the way we rediscover or we discover, we read the word. Another thing that we have to do is we have to pray. We have to talk to God. During this week, I discovered this video of, um, it was talking about Pastor Priscilla Sherrod, how she ends her prayers. It says that at the end of every prayer, she says, Lord, do this or something better. Did you catch that? She says, Lord, do this or something better. I want to encourage you to do the same thing. See, because sometimes we're praying for the little thing and God has something greater for us. So we got to say, Lord, do this, but do something better because I want everything that you have for me. See, this is hoping for the best and not settling for less. The second key to finding the hope that you need. When you're down, remember the one who lifts you up. Verse number six, it says, my soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan, the heights of Harmon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love and at night his songs with me, a prayer to the God of my life. 
Have you ever been in a place where you felt so down that you couldn't even explain why you were in that feeling? They said, what's going on? You couldn't even explain. You couldn't articulate why you were down, why you were hurting, why you were depressed. Have you ever been in that place before? See, this is, this is what he was talking about. He was so depressed. Verse 6, it says, my soul is so downcast within me. He wasn't, he wasn't understanding why he was going through this, why his situation hadn't changed. Sometimes when I read the word, that when I'm reading, there's certain words that just kind of jumps off the page. And then sometimes there's passages that jumps off the page. Verse 7 for me, when I started reading, it just jumped off the page. It says, deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. I don't want to assume that we've all been to a beach, but I'm confident that we all have either been or we've seen a, a, seen a beach in waves on, the, on, on TV or something, right? So we've seen how waves crash on the beach, and we know that waves are big. We know that they're powerful. We know that they're loud and sometimes dangerous and deadly. We've all have seen this. It says, um, like waves upon waves, it just felt like they just kept hitting me. He couldn't catch a break. Have you ever been in this place before? I have. I've been in a place where I felt like I could not catch a break. It was just wave on top of wave. When my wife and I started this church, when we said yes to planting this church, it felt like we could not catch a break. And I'm not talking about 2020 when we started the pandemic. I'm not talking about the political tension and the racial tension. I'm not talking about how we split from another church. I'm not talking about the world shutting down. I'm talking about personal wave after wave. We could not catch a break. When we said yes to doing what God had for our life, we got hit with a wave. See, Raquel's father, he, he suffered multiple strokes back to back, and now he's in a place that he's not the same man that he was before because of all these strokes. We got hit with a wave. Then my mother, she had a stroke right after that. We got hit with a wave. I'm like, God, I don't know if I want to do this. Then our youngest son was diagnosed with cerebral palsy. I said, Lord, I don't know about this anymore. We got hit with a wave. And then our business was, it was, we were being sued. It, we were being jeopardized. All the people we were employing, hundreds of people, all the people, thousands of kids that we're serving, that was being jeopardized because somebody was attacking us. And then when we thought we could just catch a break in it and we caught, caught our second wind, I ruptured my Achilles and I was down. I was like, Lord, can we get a break? But God... See, guess what? We serve an intentional God. There's no coincidence that he, he talks about the deer panting in water. This illustration, it shows how we should long for God's presence in our life, both physically and spiritually. But it also had me thinking, God, you use waves to describe the way sometimes we're just overwhelmed and consumed by life. So how do we survive these type of waves? How do we survive when we just keep getting hit left and right? We try to duck it, but we get hit again. How do we survive it? I'm going to share something with you that I learned this week. Now, 
I'm not a surfer. I don't know if you caught that. I go to the beach. I put my toe in the water, but that's as far as I'm going to go. I'm not a surfer. That's not what I do. That might be what you do. That's not what I do. But I I learned something about surfers this week that I want to share with you. And and this is uh, the surfer's guide to survival. And I'm going to parallel this with the uh, spiritual survival. So we're going to call this the wave impact zone. All right. So so here's the surfer's guide. And and, and then I'm going to share a spiritual revelation with it. Can we do this? So number one, it says, stay calm. Focus on your breathing. And the spiritual, that stay calm, focus on God. The surfer's guy says, try not to resist. And the spiritual, that's don't fight God, trust him. Three is tell yourself it's going to be okay. This will help you relax and this will keep your heart rate down. And the spiritual, this is encourage yourself in the Lord. Number four is cover your head, go in a slight ball. The more you relax the less oxygen you will use. In the spiritual, this is stop spending so much energy telling everybody else about your problems. Get on your knees and give it to God first. See, physical waves come every 7 to 15 seconds, anywhere from 1 to 5 waves at a time. So number 5, it says, look for the deep water. You can move through the waves more easily if you ride the current. And the spiritual, that is, don't be in a rush for your situation to change. Ask God, what is he trying to show you? What is he trying to teach you? You have to go deeper in God. Number six, signal for help. What is our help spiritually? Tap into the Holy Spirit, who is our advocate, who is our intercessor for God. And number seven is, swim parallel to the beach. Never swim against the current. In the spiritual, get in line with God. Don't quit. Don't lose hope. Don't work against God and what he's trying to do in your life, even when it doesn't make sense. Number eight, see, sooner or later, it will die off. Let the waves tumble in you. It will be violent, but every inch closer to the beach is closer to where you want to be. Let the power of the ocean push you toward the beach, and it's not over until you get to the beach. And the spiritual, that is let God guide you. He knows what's best for you. He has a plan for you. He has a future for you. See, he's not finished with you yet. It's like the surfer. We have to learn how to embrace the waves. And the sooner we understand how to embrace the waves, we can ride the waves and we can stay in this sustained life of having faith in what God is doing in our lives. Amen. Amen. Verse number eight, it says, by day, the Lord directs his love at night. His song is with me, a prayer to God of my life. Again, the writer prays for hope in God's faithful love. It's like a sailor tossed by the crashing waves. He longs for his father's presence, not to calm the storm, but to let him know that he's next to him in the storm. The third key to finding the hope that you need is when you feel alone, receive God's presence. Verse nine, it says, I say to God, my rock. Why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning oppressed by my enemy? 
My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. That roller coaster again. Sometimes we may not understand what God is doing and the reason behind it. But as people, we tend to rely heavily on our emotions. See, emotions and feelings, they're not bad. But if we're not careful, our feelings and our instincts can mislead us. See, God doesn't expect us to understand everything. Instead, he simply just asks us to obey. In these verses throughout the chapter, the psalmist may not comprehend fully God's ways, but yet he decided not to place all of his hopes in the brief emotions or feelings that he's in. So that's why you see him going back and forth. He's trying to prioritize God in his life, even when it doesn't feel like it. So consider this. What if we shift our mindset from, God, why do I have to continue suffering so much? And instead say, Lord, I don't want to miss what you are trying to show me in my suffering. Show me how to use my situation to glorify your name. What if we start viewing each situation as a chance to spread the word of God and share the gospel? See, the psalmist said, my enemies are taunting me. They're still on me. Where's your God? And I believe he kept bringing this back up because he was like, maybe, maybe if I say it enough times, God is going to just show up. Maybe if I just keep bringing up, he's, he's going to show up. I want to try something. Can, can, you, can you guys, you guys have been good. Y'all been working with me. I want to try something different. I'm going to count to three. And when I count to three, on one accord, I want all of us to count to 10 as loud as you can. Not just this side. Not just this word. I need everybody. So we're going to do this together. So don't feel like, oh, I don't know if they're going to do it. So I'm going to I need everybody to join in with me. All right. Because if not, then I'm going to be looking crazy up here. I don't want to look crazy. So when I count to three, everybody's going to one accord going to count to 10. Can we do this? One, two, three. Do you notice me? 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 It was so loud right now, you guys couldn't even hear my voice. And I often wonder. If God is right beside us, just saying, do you notice me? See, sometimes we get so caught up with the distractions. We get so caught up in the chaos and what's going on. And God is right here saying, do you notice me? He's trying to let you know that you're not alone, but you're focused on the wrong thing. He's saying, do you notice me? See, God is with us in our storms. He's with us in our struggles. He's with us in our troubles. He's with us in our suffering. He's saying, I love you. You are my child. You are made in my image. I will never leave you or forsake you. Do you notice me? Forget what's going on over there. We got to remove the distractions. We got we to gotta, we gotta find our secret place. We got to find our secret place. We got to go to God. So that we can hear that sweet, still voice. Because he's saying, son, daughter, I notice you. I love you. Yeah. 
You're not alone. The psalmist repeats, keep your hope in God, even in the darkest times, even when your situation remains unchanged. Continue to seek your father faithfully. I believe this is what God wants for us. He wants us all to not say that we surrender, but to come in a position of being surrendered. That's what he wants for us. Here's my final thought. When you've tried everything else, rest in him. Psalms chapter 62. It says, yes, my soul finds rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. That's something to hold on to right there. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times. You people, pour out your hearts to him, for God is your refuge. I think this is a great passage to end on. Also, as Black History Month is coming to a conclusion, I want us to remember those who hope for the best despite the obstacles that they faced. I'm so thankful of how I was raised. I was raised to understand and know that I was made in the image of God and I was also raised to know that I was a proud black man here in America. My granny and my grandmother, they migrated from the South to California. And between them and the church that I grew up in, they made sure that I understood the struggle and the history of my people. And the thing is, I believe growing up here in California, at times the real struggle is because we are such a melting pot and there's nothing wrong with that, that we forget how things were and we still are stuck with some of the biases. As we talked about hope this entire month, I also think about the hope of those a part of the civil rights movement. See, without the hope that they had in God, without the trust that they had in God and for justice and for what's right, we as Midtown Church, as a diverse body, would not be here today without what they stood on. The hope they had and the change that they were fighting for, most of them knew that they wouldn't even see it in their lifetime. But that didn't stop them from doing what God has called them to do. So as I close, I would like to introduce this video of Carol Evers, who's a member of the Midtown family. And she's also the daughter-in-law of the late, great Megger Evers. Megger Evers was the NAACP's first field secretary. He, was, he um, spearheaded the efforts of assisting African-Americans in registering to vote in the South. And he was a huge advocate for equal education opportunities. We see that legacy going on right here with Dr. Fortune. And as you heard, Dr. Armstrong today, that started years ago and they continue to keep this going. But Megger Evers, he's probably most famous for his involvement in bringing awareness and justice to the murder of 14-year-old Emmett Till before he was assassinated himself at the age of 37. 
His murder prompted President J.F. Kennedy to ask Congress for a comprehensive civil rights bill. Megger Evers hoped for the best despite the obstacles that he faced. My name is Carol Evers, and I was married to Merle and Medgar Evers' son, Daryl. Medgar Evers was a civil rights activist, and he would travel throughout the South to enroll people in insurance, but also to encourage people to register to vote. At that time, it was illegal for black people to vote. That was the practice, and there was the threat always of them being killed for voting. You know, they were not allowed to go into restaurants and different places to eat. So they decided that that was just not gonna be okay. You know, they decided that they were going to do more to get black people the equality that they deserved in America. They wouldn't have fought for this country and it didn't seem right and it wasn't right for them to come back and be treated like second-class citizens or worse. He later married Merle Evers when they met at Alcorn. He had been out, I think it was at a rally, and he had some t-shirts that he was bringing home. And it was in the evening, and he was getting out the car. Uh, Byron Dale Beckwith shot him in the back. The children and, the, and Merle came running out, and they saw him on the driveway bleeding. And so, you know, he was taken to the hospital, but he eventually passed. My mother-in-law picked up the baton that Medgar had started, and um, she gave her life to the civil rights movement. Without her, people might not have known as much as they do about his contribution to civil rights. You know, she carried on the, uh, the movement of civil rights. She became the chairwoman of the NAACP and doing whatever she could to keep talking about it and keep it out there in front of people, in front of the public. Very determined to keep him, his name alive, his work alive, his cause alive, his ideals alive. Yeah, he had a saying, you can kill a man, but you can't kill an idea. She very much believed in that, and um, it was the fire that was lit underneath her. And you, you've got to have hope. You know, you've got to believe in change. You've got to believe that it, it can happen. It takes that kind of passion. It takes that kind of vision. And of course, you know, she trusted God for everything. Medgar grew up across the street from a church. And, you know, in the South, it was like all day Sunday when you went to church. And, uh, of course, Marley was raised as a Christian as well. To push past um, all the things that would make the average person stop, you know, it was like, wait, my life is in danger, my family's life is in danger, but God is, God is in the plan. Yeah, God is 
very much in the plan in their lives and very much a firm, firm foundation. You know, she said to me at one time, you know, God has been so good to me, I hope I've done good. She just wanted to make what was wrong right. That's how you live, you know, that's how you accomplish things. That's, that's the kind of lesson I think that we could all draw from today um, in terms of carrying on the civil rights movement and whatever else calling God has for you. I'm grateful for what she's done. I'm grateful for her being in my life. So I, I felt like I've been privileged to sit in the, in the room, you know, with, with somebody great, you know, not just somebody great, but somebody who's like an example of a higher calling and what it looks like to do that, what it takes to do that. so much for tuning into Midtown Church. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast for weekly messages to stay rooted in the word and for a dose of hope, health, and healing in your life. Want to get more connected to Midtown Church? Just visit us online at midtownchurch.org.